We've got breaking science news for you today. Every cell in your body contains a copy of your DNA, which I hear stands for the National Dyslexia Association. <laughs> and every copy of your DNA has the information, the proof that you are related to every other human being on the planet through an ancestor named Noah. <laughs> this breaking news in genetics is flying in the face of the theory of evolution, and it destroys the idea that man has been here for 200,000 years or more. Now, if you aren't familiar with the conclusions from the theory of evolution, it has led scientists to believe that humanity evolved from an ape-like ancestor. And evolutionists have predicted, based on this theory, that human DNA would be very similar to ape DNA. You're probably familiar with the 98% the similar number. Well, this is the idea that humans and chimps' DNA is 98% similar to each other. Well, not only has that been proven to be completely wrong, but the more we learn about genetics, the more DNA research destroys the evolution worldview and supports the fact that we were created by God just a few thousand years ago. On today's show, Breaking Science News, Decoded DNA confirms the creation. You're going to hear the truth about it. And it should embolden you to share your faith with others. Hey, if you're new to the Creation Today show, I'm Eric Coven, and we are on a mission to disciple the world. We want to turn stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and the redeemer of mankind into stepping stones on people's journey to know the truth. My guest today is a research biologist at Answers in Genesis. He holds a PhD in cell and developmental biology from Harvard University. He is the author of many articles and books, including Replacing Darwin, The New Origin of Species, and his most recent book, Traced Human DNA's Big Surprise. Ladies and gentlemen, who are all descendants of Noah, by the way, please help me welcome my friend, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. Dr. J, buddy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Eric. I hear you're not like other people. Somebody told me your DNA is just a little bit different. You'll have to explain that one to me. <laughs> How many DNA and genetic jokes have you heard in your life? Oh my goodness, when you do this for a living. Not, not, not enough, apparently. You have, you have more to add to my repertoire. <laughs> well, I went to, do to the doctor the other day and just to get my, when I was getting my test results uh, for my DNA, and he told me that my DNA was backwards. I said, and? <laughs> I, need, wah, I need the sound wah, wah. effect. It, yeah, <laughs> wah, wah, wah is probably the sound effect that I need. <laughs> well, your book is fascinating. Uh, Ken Ham refers to this as the Rosetta Stone of Human history. Uh, I, I cannot, okay, we're going to have skeptics out there. We're going to have atheists out here watching this. We got believers watching this. I think what you're uncovering, and as I, I literally I read your book, I went through your charts and graphs, um, and, and I, I found myself going, this is phenomenal. What a time to be alive with research like this, proving that the creation account matches up with the science that we're seeing today. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What got you into wanting to study ancestry and genetics, and why is this so fascinating to you? 
I'd say this process began about 10, 12 years ago when I joined the Institute for Creation Research in 2009. And to give a short answer, and then I'll explain the details. It's really a matter of literally following the evidence where it leads, going where the tools are available, which of course flies in the face of what creationists are typically stereotyped as. Yeah. So the, the slightly longer version would be 2009, I was tasked when I joined the Institute for Creation Research by Henry Morris III with developing a biology research program. So my interest at the time was not specifically human ancestry. It was, where do species come from? Because that's the, that's the big picture biological question in the creation evolution debate, Darwin's main question. And the first five, six years were largely focused on that. And you can see my publication record was focused on the uh, maternally inherited mitochondrial DNA across thousands of species. And how do we explain that? How do we explain specific genetic differences? Can we develop a, a testable, predictive creationist model? And then in my first major book, Replacing Darwin, is focused heavily on that broader animal species, all of life question, how to explain it, especially using genetic tools. And I say genetics because, well, for a number of reasons that the book explains, including that it's the direct record of ancestry, but it's also one of the main tools we have available. There's all this massive amount of information we have publicly available that we can use and then explore. And that's sort of the segue into the, to the human side of the equation. Because of so many people wanting to know cures for human disease and genetics being a key tool to explore that, there are massive amounts of genetic data for humans out there in the public databases. So aside from some bacteria, humans are probably one of the best studied genetic species on the planet. And so, so th th there you have a tool. What's the question? The question at that time, so around 2015, we had I had been looking at mitochondrial DNA, as I mentioned, maternally inherited DNA. And for lots of different species, we had some data for humans among other species that in, in which we measured the, the parent offspring rate of change. So this would be the, like the mitochondrial Eve, the molecular clock that pointed back to an origin and our, and our first female ancestor about 6,000 years ago. We wow, also had some genetic echoes of a flood, three, three major ancient lineages, which would seem consistent with the three wives of Noah's sons. So at that point, I thought the next major biblical event, if you're reading your Bible straightforward chronologically, would be the Tower of Babel. So I initiated a collaboration with a linguist. So this is lots of backstory that's not actually in the book. That's a good question. <laughs> There's a, there, there was, I initiated a collaboration with a linguist because I thought Babel is primarily a linguistic event. God, the Bible doesn't say God confuses their DNA. He confuses their languages. Now that event will have major genetic consequences. And long story short, what we found in retrospect was obvious. You can change your language. You can't change your DNA. So there was some, there's plenty of points where the language map of humanity and the genetic map don't overlap. But there's also points where they do. And, and, and the biggest thing that came out of it was to say, my biblical approach was short-sighted. The next major biblical event is Babel. But you just look at the nation of Israel, and it's thousands of years of migration, conquest, rape, pillage, slaughter. The nation of Israel itself gets it, it distributed to, to the various ancient peoples of the globe hundreds of years before, before, before Christ. And so this is a people who, has, who have religious reasons to stay together, and they're being scattered how much more so every other people group on earth. And so <laughs> that, that reversed my whole approach to it to say, well, let's, let's look at more recent events and work our way backward in time and make another long story short. This culminates then in this book, Traced. We're trying to map out, I, I had switched partway through to the, to the male inherited DNA for technical reasons, trying to map out the history of civilization, which will take you then back to Babel in our male inherited DNA and, and 
this is the major focus and one of the major theses then of this book, Trace. The history is there and the history is there because you have a young earth timescale, which which then I, I would argue makes it one of the strongest arguments in print for the recent origin of humanity. And that's what blows my mind when you when you show and the whole by the way, the whole middle of Dr. Jensen's book, guys, is nothing but the charts and the graphs showing the the and you'll you'll learn about this, but showing the haplo groups and showing where people originated and showing the um, I love it when you're actually you're actually showing I don't know if you guys can make that out there, but you're actually showing the people groups and what the genetic research is showing. OK, so, OK, for my atheists and skeptic friends out there who are going, wait a minute, you're a PhD scientist and you're saying you're following the evidence and you're coming to the conclusion of biblical creation by following evidence. That's impossible. Give me a little snippet for them real quick. What would you say to them? Yeah. And and I realized uh, I, I should, I have a couple things come to mind. First of all, uh, and, and I might get in trouble for saying this, the book traced is not primarily an apologetics book. It's primarily a history book with gigantic apologetic ramifications. And why would I yes. say that? And I, and I, this is why I'm probably going to put out a video sometime in the near future that goes through some of this backstory that the book doesn't tell. But the reason I'd say this is such a strong argument for the recent origin of humanity is not only the specific multiple independent lines of evidence that support it, but the nature and temporal framework in which they were discovered. So you can look at the publication record and at every stage, of course, that I release a paper, the critics will say, oh, it can't be right, can't be right, all these things. Well, we, we follow the predictions, we test them, and they find out they're true. Well, that can't be right either. Well, what predictions does it make? And so you're doing, we're doing exactly what the scientific community has demanded for 40 years. They say creation science isn't science. It doesn't make testable predictions. Number one, that's factually wrong. Number two, the predictions are working. So you can find videos right now of, and I've been a little surprised by just how many evolutionists have now made their voice heard in terms of why, why Trace is wrong. What excites me, if I can say that, or what, what maybe brings me some relief that we're on the right track is none of them are actually addressing this aspect of it. None of them have, yes. have realized, oh, you're actually doing a whole sequence of discoveries where we reach this conclusion, it creates a whole new set of testable hypotheses. We explore those, and there are these dominoes that keep falling. No one's touched this. I think I've even said this somewhere. I forget which video, but I said you'll, you'll know that creation science has arrived when the evolutionists start using arguments against creation that creationists have used against evolutionists, and then vice versa. So, for example, they've tried to nitpick some of the methods, and one of my main answers to them is, well. Why do, basically my main answer to them is why is this working so well if what you're saying is true? And what's even funny, I mean, there's there's a video that we'll eventually have a specific response to, but there's one guy essentially saying Jensen's using the wrong methods because the textbook says otherwise. I thought this is a great gift. On one side of the equation, you have the creationist saying, let's do science. Let's see if there's some experiments that can validate or disprove what the textbook is saying. And then the other side of the equation, the evolutionaries are saying, no, you must be wrong because this book says so. So <laughs> yes. the people with the holy book are now the evolutionists and you can't question it. And on the other side, it's the wow. creationists saying, let's do science. I mean, I thought this is this is an unforced error that you couldn't even ask for. This is This is beyond anything I imagined. It's not just that they're using arguments we used against us. And I'm saying, well, you know, what testable predictions do you make? Predict for me X, Y, and Z in, in this particular study. But they're they're also saying, no, the dogma says otherwise. You can't possibly be right. So I, I just had to chuckle when I saw that. Well, I, what a time to be alive. First of all, if you're a Christian uh, and you are a young earth creationist, what a time to be alive. If you're not a Christian or you're a Christian and you're not a young earth creationist, 
What a time to be alive. The evidence is mounting in, in geology, uh, the work that Dr. Fa- um, um, Andrew Schnelling is doing and, and biology, the work that you guys are doing. The scientific data is showing God's word really is true. And uh, first of all, shout out to Answers in Genesis and ICR for launching these projects and saying, let's Let's fund somebody like you to be able to have the time. You've got the brain. You've got the, you've got the pedigree, so to speak. Now you're given the time to do this. And so thank you to all of you out there who support Answers in Genesis and Institute for Creation Research and help them do this research because it's just an ex- this is something that for, for, for over 150 years of, of Darwinian evolution, We've kind of been behind on the research game because government's not giving us money to research creation. They're giving lots of money to research evolution, and the studies and the research is showing, well, it doesn't seem to add up correctly, so they keep changing it and changing it, trying to fit it. Now we're actually getting research done, so I it confirms creation. I find myself just going, what a time to be alive. Um, by the way, uh, I got so much I want to talk about. And then, okay, let's get into some of the details of how you did this in just a second. Let's get it. We got 15 minutes. I want to get into some of the science of how you did what you did. You you went from the mitochondrial Eve, which the conclusions of that show all the women on planet Earth came from one of three women. That's correct. And now you're yeah. doing the Y chromosome Adam, which shows all the men on the Earth are related to one of three men who are all related to one man. Um, that's exactly what this. Okay. Get into how you've done this uh, and and give us kind of an overview of, of what you've actually done with the Y chromosome. Yeah, and the, the principle behind what I'm doing is fairly straightforward. I mean, it, it, at first glance, it's, what, what is this confusing field? We're essentially trying to find the family tree for the whole globe. And normally you do that by written records, historical records, these sorts of things, which unfortunately we don't have or have been destroyed or people just didn't write it down. So how could you go about finding some of the tool? The key elements of a family tree are the who, the the ancestry component, who's the person I come from or people I came from, and then also the time. What what generation, how many generations ago did I share a common ancestry with this person or I I, I had this person on my ancestry? The Y chromosome is, well, we all recognize the Y chromosome and any sort of DNA is a record of ancestry. You get a DNA test to say, well, is this, you know, in some cases, sadly, is this the father or not? Is this, is this the person uh, at the crime scene? That's not an ancestry question, but we know that DNA has this, this component of identity and per, per, parentage, that sort of thing. I think that's pretty straightforward. People recognize that. The Y chromosome happens to mark the father-son relationship because only males have the Y chromosome. Males are XY, females are XX. What about the time element? Well, we live in a fallen world, I'd say that theologically. And so things don't operate the way they used to in the Garden of Eden when it was all perfect and without sin. And so in the process, that, so in sperm cells, because this is through the male line, when the DNA is copied, when the Y chromosome is copied, it is copied imperfectly. And this has been measured then where you, you just get dad's Y chromosome, you get son's Y chromosome, how fast or slow. It's, it's about on average three mistakes per generation out of 10 million letters that we're looking at. The total yeah. chromosome is 60 million, but we can't access the whole thing right now with current technology. You're literally comparing papers. dad and son's DNA and going, oh, three changes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
And then, so if you would compare my, my Y chromosome to one of my boys, you'd find three. If you compare one of my boys Y chromosome to my dad's, their grandfather, two generation difference between those two, you'd find on average six. And so there's the component of time. The Y chromosome in a sense acts like a clock. You can find these differences again, because the 99% of our DNA is identical. So you just, you just line them up and you can find match, 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 match. And then, and then the rare needle in a haystack is this mismatch. And so you can compare any two men and say, okay, how many differences between me and Eric? And you count them and you say, well, this approximately this many generations ago, we had a common male ancestor. So, so there's the ancestry, there's the time component. DNA gives you those two key elements of a normal family tree. And therefore it becomes a tool by which we can reconstruct the family tree for the whole globe if we have DNA from men around the globe, which we now do. So all these 23andMe ancestry tests, all of these are doing nothing but help confirm help you do your research and help confirm what God's word is actually teaching us. Yes. And I should clarify the typical test. And especially if you, let's say do ancestry.com, the typical test doesn't look at the Y chromosome. It's looking at the DNA you inherit from both parents. And that's, that's in a sense, a double-edged sword. So if you do the Y chromosome, well, what about mom's side? What about dad's mom's side? There's all sorts of historical information you don't have access to it, or I don't have access to if I just do my Y chromosome. You can compensate for that by, as we did in my family, ask for mom's brother to get his DNA tested or mom's mother's brother, these sorts of things. You can get around that, but you're still missing, in a sense, half the story. So you get the DNA from both parents. Now you've got both inputs. The problem is, so, so that's, that's, that's the benefit. The drawback is you get the DNA from both parents. And so genetic signal gets diluted. I'm 50% genetically each of my parents, they are 50% each of their parents. So therefore I'm 25% each of my grandparents, 12 and a half percent, great grandparents, six and a half and boom, boom, boom. It drops off exponentially. So the dirty little secret of many of these tests is that you pay a hundred dollars to learn a little more than what you already know from your family tree. Really? And it's, oh, man. So the Y chromosome, because you don't have another parent diluting the signal, you can go way back in time. You can't you can't get you know the whole spectrum of your family tree with a single Y chromosome test, but you can then in theory go back all the way to Noah. And, and that's one of the points of the book. Anyone who takes a Y chromosome test, I've got the last four pages of the color plates. It's the last color plate table where you, you get a Y chromosome result, which branch you're in, and it tells you here's the specific son of Noah you come from, or ancestor, you know, descendant of Shem, let's say that you come from. Here's the chapter that discusses some of the the messy history, because every one of us has a very messy, messy history. History itself is messy. We're all interconnected in ways we never would have anticipated. W one of the surprises that, that has come out of the book. And I've also set up, uh, just because some of these companies don't report the results in a consistent way, let's say, I've also set up a page where people can ask, you know, report the results, ask questions about it. I've had probably 400 people write in through this way. It's answersingenesis.org slash go slash traced. And that's also in appendix A of the book, because that's also the place where you can find the supplemental information. But if, if you go to answersingenesis.org slash go slash traced, T-R-A-C-E-D, there's, there's a, you can scroll down, there's a box for your name, first name, last name, email, and then any comment. I've got a question or I want to share a DNA result or which son of Noah do I come from with these results? I've had people write in and say, hey, I'm adopted. I want to find my, my parentage. These are all, there's, there's all sorts of fun things that come out of it. Some of it very satisfying where they can say, okay, now, now I know some of my history. That, that's, that's the way, uh, and also the way we're, we're, we're moving forward with the research. Again, this, this, is, this is the culmination of a whole sequence of research events and discoveries. And so the book itself fulfills previous testable predictions, and it made, makes a ton more, which we're now actively pursuing and testing and 
and you know, we're calling it the new Rosetta Stone of human history because this is now one of the key new tools to unravel wow. the history of the peoples of the entire globe. The, the original Rosetta Stone gave us a new window into Egypt's past by getting a sense for Egypt's hieroglyphic language and what it means. Late 1700s, they discover this. This is now a window to the, to the, to the history of the entire globe. And in, in a very intriguing way, takes us back to specific sons of Noah. And I should say, there are still descendants of Noah, men in Genesis 10, for which we do not yet have the Y chromosome lineage. But one of the predictions is, they're still out there. So anyone listening, watching, you may have the lineage of one of these lost peoples of the ancient world for which we have yet to find their Y chromosome lineage because we've only sampled 1%, 0.1% of the DNA of the men alive today. So there's a, there's a there's a massive amount of research still left to be done. And to me, what's so exciting is it's creation science, it's, you know, not me, it's, it's the 4,500 year timescale that's taking the lead in all this. Creations are making new discoveries about the world today. Who would have thought we'd be here in 2022? I, I want you, I'd love for you to share with us, uh, even in this first half hour while we have social media on, a little bit about uh, the, the how you how they break it down into the haplogroups. But first of all, I, I read online some people saying, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, somebody trying to knock your book. They're going, well, why don't you submit this to peer review? Why don't you do that? Is, is this something that, what's going to happen when you get to the point where this is ready for, for peer review for something like that? Like what, what's, or are there, is it like, no, there's papers out there that have already been peer reviewed that are confirming what I'm saying. Like what's going on there? Yeah. It's a good question. It's a frequent one. It's ultimately a circular argument and I'll, and I'll walk through in a Agreed. sense a hypothetical, which is really just an example of a, a often a practical sequence of back and forth. So when the evolutionist says, uh, this hasn't been reviewed, my first answer is that's factually incorrect. It has been peer reviewed. You can look at the endorsements. I've got PhD historians looking through it because it's a hit work on history. I've got biologists looking through it. They're PhDs. They'll say, no, 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 but those are creationists. This is not a true peer review, which of course is, if you know logic, is sort of a no true Scotsman fallacy. And I'll say, uh, well, who, so, so turn the question around. They're saying the only true peer review is, is a critic. So, uh, someone who's criticizing my work. You know, I've, I've got people reviewing it who are terminal degrees. They're experts. They know what they're talking about. They say, no, no, you need to get a critic who reviews it. So I'll turn around and I'll say, which creationists have you re reviewed your literature? Which, of course, hardly anyone does. Now, let me take it a step further. And this is actually in the book. And you can see it documented in some of the papers I've published. Why there is a great need, I would argue, not so much for evolutionists to review the papers. And, and by the way, I, I love having evolutionists review papers. I've asked them to do it. I did a whole debate with Herman Mays, for example, evolutionary biologist at Marshall University, who basically refused to read the book. And so when people are invited to review it, they turn it down. We emailed Jerry Coyne, PZ Myers, who now blog post recently and, and announced that, yes, he received my book, Replacing Darwin, several years ago and stuck it on the shelf and decided to ignore me. You know, wow. this, is, this is some of what we face. Anyway, why should creationists review the evolutionary literature. So here's a crazy story as it relates to the Y chromosome. Truth is stranger than fiction in which the evolutionary community is, is kind of silent on this. If you look at the history of papers, of publications in the mainstream literature on the rate at which fathers mutate their DNA to the sons. So if you measure father's Y chromosome, son's Y chromosome, here's how it goes real fast. It's a, it's a rather complex history, but I'll get to the good stuff quickly. The first two papers that come out are... I'll just summarize it as saying it's low quality. The technical term is low coverage DNA. 
and they, they get a they get a just few differences between fathers and sons in a manner that they say is consistent with evolution. Okay, and I remember when I started in two thousand nine, I was aware of one of these papers. I thought, hmm, I don't know, maybe more DNA, more data will come out that'll confirm creation. I, I just didn't know what to do with it at the time. Then two more papers come out. So the first two were two thousand nine, two thousand fifteen. Another one comes out in two thousand fifteen. Another one two thousand seventeen. Both of them high quality, where the technical term would be high coverage. It's already known in the mainstream literature. The quality, the coverage, makes a gigantic uh, has a gigantic impact on how many variants you can discover. That's that's the big question. How many mutations can you discover between fathers and sons? You use low coverage, you'll find few. High coverage, lots of them. This is not something creationists are inventing. It's in the literature, and lo and behold, you find a much faster rate in these high quality studies. In fact. The 2015 study, this is, and I'm surprised this made it into their supplemental data. They say themselves, we measured fathers and sons, it's about 30, 31 pairs. And the rate was way too fast, 10 times faster than what we expect. And they cite the evolutionary papers. So they invented a filter to bring the rate down, to eliminate data that was inconvenient, to bring it into, again, truth is stranger than fiction. You can't make this up. They put it in print and said, this is what we're doing. Last paper, this is actually, you can find, again, critics talking about this online, which is, again, a great unforced error, great gift. The second paper, the explicit purpose is to measure in 50 Danish trios, father, mother, offspring. That's a trio. You got the parents, the offspring, you measure their DNA. It's across the whole genome. All the DNA, all, all the, the 99% of our DNA that's inherited from both parents, plus the Y chromosome, they're looking at all of that. And there's about, of, of the offspring of the, of the 50, about 17 are sons. So you've got 17 father-son pairs. They talk in, in great and gory detail about the 99% of the DNA. Does, does the father mutate his DNA faster than the mother? Or more mutations from dad to offspring than mother to offspring? Is it, is it a single letter difference? Is it, a, is it an insertion deletion chunk difference? Is it a big chunk? no stone left unturned. Then you get to the Y chromosome and the the stuff that's relevant to what we're talking about is the single letter change. They talk about, I think the big chunk difference. They talk about the insertion deletion rate and conspicuously absent is the single letter rate. Fortunately, they had a figure in the paper which is based on that raw data, very conservative strategy for that it's based on in which they had a scale bar. So I took screenshots, was using the scale bar and came up with a rate that was very similar again, fast. I thought, well, this is, Perhaps I know why they left out of the paper because it's way too fast. So here's where it gets even crazier. One of the critics emailed the author and said, could you, you know, the creationists are saying this and using your work. What do you say in response to them? He said, well, and, and okay. The guy who emails him, Herman Mays again, the guy I debated, quotes the author. Someone said, well, why don't you share the entirety of your personal correspondence? Absolutely not. Well, what's hidden that personal correspondence? The part he does quote, the author say, well, we think it's actually, um, sequencing errors. When we were getting fathers and sons, their errors. And if we were more conservative in the filtering, we would, we would find this is not actually true. My first question, are you going to let creationists peer review it? Not just because you demand critics review stuff, but there's precedent in the literature that you will fit facts to conclusions. So who's checking your work this time? Second point, we could solve all this if the authors just published the data. They have it. Why don't they put it in the peer review? Why didn't they put it in the first place? Why don't they put it out now in a transparent way so we can see it? Third point is, why don't we think of the indirect ways to test this prediction, which I've done over the past several papers and book, which already argue that what they're saying is wrong. These are the sorts of things that going on, which to me, in a sense, is a relief because, hey, I'm I'm sticking my neck out. How do we know this is actually true? 
And this is what they're coming up with. The high priests, in a sense, with evolution, have conferred and decreed that this is wrong. Well, why don't wow. we do some experiments? No, we've said it's wrong. I thought, okay, if that's how you want to make the state of the debate, have at it. But this is a complete reversal of where things have been 40 years ago. Very revealing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hey, if you're joining me just now for some reason and you've missed the first part of this conversation, you got to go back and listen to what's going on. Dr. Jensen has been studying the Y chromosome uh, that's passed from father to son the mutation rates, and you're going to have to, for our, for our Christian Today members that are on here, you're going to have to get into the haplogroups and what's how it really works. But social media, thank you guys for joining me. I think this is fascinating. This should embolden your faith. If you want to hear the rest of the conversation, we do that for our partners. Anybody that partners with Creation Today can be part of the live conversation with us here and ask our expert questions. Just go to creationtoday.org to partner with us. Uh, we'd love to have you there next week. I'm going to have a fantastic conversation uh, just talked to the author today of Joyful Moms, or yesterday of Joyful Moms, and I'm telling you, the conversation we're going to have next week is just Dear Moms and going through fears, frustration, and faith, and it is going to be a conversation. You are going to be so encouraged uh, as we get ready to celebrate Mother's Day and we uh, talk to dads. You're going to want to hear this just to be able to encourage your your, your wife, uh, who the mother of your children. So excited about next week's webinar. You can join me or the show. You can join me uh, live at noon, Wednesday, live at noon at 12 o'clock central time next week for dear mom we'd love to have you there doc i want it for our partners here i want to get into how you did some of this and how they break down the haplogroups and maybe you can even can can you tell me kind of where i came from without necessarily me doing the y chromosome test i mean do you think is it is that obvious if you go down to it or would we need to actually do the somebody would need to do the y chromosome test to get down to okay am i shimham or japheth i mean i'm kind of curious about that so Let's get into the how you did it and um, and get into some of that. And by the way, members, you guys can ask questions here. Our partners, you can ask us ask questions. So I'll try to keep an eye on the Q&A as well. Doc, how do you do the research on this? What, what does it actually look like? 